This is episode 103 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth Celebration 2004, The Whole Story with Rick McKinley. This is session two, My Story. How about the drummers, man? Yes. Awesome. We, uh, you guys having a good time? Can you see okay now? Got the lights up for you because some of you are going blind, couldn't read your Bibles, wanted to help you out. I saw somebody today with a shirt that said, Vote for Pedro. Is she here? Oh, Pedro Sanchez. We got to love that guy. Now, we're talking about the whole story and this whole idea of story. And when you watch Napoleon Dynamite, you realize there's not a lot going on in the story. It, when the line ends with, I bought you a delicious bass. I mean, that's not a powerful moment. And yet it was, and I wept in a very odd sense. We, uh, last night, about 9.30, I made it into my uh, room. And, you know, we were talking about being from California. And so the winter months are a little difficult on me in Portland. It's cold. And then I heard the splash. And some of you are swimming in the swimming pool at 9.30 at night. What in the world? What is wrong with you people? I called the police. I called the paramedics. I thought something bad had happened. But no, it's just you dancing around in the swimming pool. Marco. Polo. Marco. Crazy. Hey, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about my story or your story. Um, how God's story really intersects our lives and what that looks like. And for me, that, that began when I was 18 years old. I talked a little bit about it last night. Never grew up in the church, never went to these kind of events. Didn't even know they existed. And, uh, and in high school, I sort of found my, my meaning in life, my acceptance, all that stuff, and just trying to be popular, playing football. Uh, I was like junior prom king, which, you know, was neat because I wore a little sash. I looked sexy in. And um, the thing I didn't have, though, was this Britney Spears microphone. Can we come in on that? Nice. Let's try. Didn't work. Thank you. Thank you. Had one fan out there. Um, and so I was, I was really looking for you know, the popularity and people like me. And I, I got a reputation as sort of the party animal, the dude that was funny at the parties. And so when you get your most likely twos at your senior year, I got most likely to die with a beer in my hand. And I was kind of proud of it, like, <laughs> you know, like that's something I can accomplish, I think, if I really put my mind to it. Um, and when I was looking at where do you go to college, uh, academics wasn't my area, and so I, w- I went to the, like, the, the biggest party school in the world, or in the country at that time, which in the, the 80s was Chico State. So I, I moved to Chico State, and I think that I have died and gone to heaven. Because well, my idea of heaven at the time was like a big kegger, that's what it's probably going to be like. And so uh, there were you know, these huge houses with 50 keg parties and all these things. And, and I, I went there, and I had dropped out within like the first year, and was just sort of partying my brains out. And there was this thing uh, in Chico, there's a law 
that says if you ride your bike at night, you have to put a light on the front of it so people know where you're going. So at, you know, 2 in the morning, there's 500 drunk people on bikes, and all you see are these lights, like, going like this, and then they go down to the ground, and then you hear, like, a, uh, and it comes back up, and they start going around. And, and that's, all, that's all you see is, like, you just see this light, and it's going okay, and it's starting to do this one, and then you just hear smack, and this kid's like, oh, that sucks, and the light comes up, and... And when I look at that scene, that picture stuck in my mind for so many years. Because it's at that point in Chico that I really started asking the questions, like, where is my story going? At this point, where is it that I'm going to head if I stay on the road that I'm going down? And I, you know, what do we got going here? Can we get the... Easy 103 off of the speaker for me. That was beautiful. Um, you're going down this road, and, and I knew that if I stayed on the road that I was going, I, I was just sort of like trying to find meaning in my own life, love and acceptance and grace, all that stuff that we're looking for. And I, it, it looked like, as I looked to my friends, that's what our stories look like. They look like these lights that were just kind of driving around in the darkness and spinning out of control and crashing on the ground and getting back up and trying to head a different direction. And as we dialogue with each other, there's really no sense that we, any of us understood where we were going or what we wanted. But the common theme is that, that we're all looking to be loved at some level. And, and whether that was getting hammered and, and thinking, having people like you whether it was thinking you were going to hook up with a guy or a girl, or whatever it was, those, all of their stories were very similar. They're wanting this sense of love, where they're wanting someone to accept them. They're wanting someone at some point to say, I know everything about you, even the bad stuff, and it's all on the table, and I, I'm going to accept you anyways. There was a sense that I wasn't finding that at Chico. My light was just kind of going nuts and running into trees and falling down and, and coming back up. And so I, I left Chico State and I came home. And that's really the point in time when I felt the most hopeless about where my story was headed, that Jesus intersected me. And, and it, it, many times it's when we begin to be honest with this whole idea of where am I looking? Where is my story going? Where am I trying to find love and acceptance and grace? Where, where am I headed that Jesus shows up? And so tonight what I want us to look at is this whole idea of your story. And where is your story going right now? Where is it that you're looking for trying to find someone or something to love you, to give you that sensation of love? Who is it or what is it that you're trying to find acceptance in? What sins are you ashamed of that you're literally having to, to put on a facade so that no one has to really know who you are or what you've done? And today I want you to look at a story of a woman that encountered Jesus kind of at the very same crisis in life 
crisis in her story that I was in, and maybe that some of you are in tonight. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of the woman at the well. Because it's really in the midst of this search, the midst of this story, that Jesus shows up in her story as well. Some of you have heard the story before. Um, hopefully you can hear it in a fresh way. But I want you to look for yourself in the story. Because there's some beautiful windows that God opens up through his scripture where you can find those parallels to your own heart. And you're not necessarily a woman with a well, but there are still moments that you can connect to. Here's what it says. Uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining uh, and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, but the disciples. And when the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And so the religious people are always pretty bummed at Jesus. That's the thing that you get over and over in the Gospels. Religious people don't like Jesus. He breaks all kinds of religious rules. He doesn't really hold up the uh, party line. And he's working with people that are pretty much the scum of the earth. And so they're going, we don't want him in our church. And we're not really tracking with you. Verse 4, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. It's really interesting because when you look at a map where he's leaving Judea and is going back to Galilee, he doesn't have to go through Samaria. He actually makes this huge detour to get to where he's going, and he goes through Samaria. And he goes there because his story is going to intersect the story of this woman, this woman at the well. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And so, you know, you know the story? They don't have running water. Uh, they have to go get it out of like this big, deep trough. And they, and they have to go every day. And so this little village would all come out to the same well. I think most of us would probably just be dead right now if that's what we had to do because we're lazy. But these people every day go out to the well, get their water, go home. I would have liked to been there. I would have made the bottle water thing that we got going because you make a lot of cash. They didn't pick up on it. So the Samaritan woman, and, and the other thing that's really key is that it's the sixth hour, so it's 12 noon. When people came out to draw water from the well, they'd always draw it in the morning or the evening, in the cool of the day. No one came out really in the heat of the day to get their water. And so it says that Jesus sits down there, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. This is where her story begins to intersect with Jesus' story. She's coming to the well at noon. And she's coming at noon for reasons. It's not because she's just stoked to be out in the heat of the day. She wants a nice tan. She's coming to the well at noon so she can avoid all the other women in the village. This is a woman who has a really bad reputation in her town. She, she finds herself in her story looking for that love and acceptance and grace from giving herself away to men. 
We don't know why she does that. We don't know if as a child she was physically or sexually abused. We just know that something in her is broken and the way that she tries to heal it is through relationships with guys. And guys who take advantage of her, give her certificates of divorce, kick her out of their bed and say, leave. She goes from man to man to man, as you will see. It's at this point in the story that she says, I'm so full of shame, I'm so sick of hearing these people talk behind my back that I'm going to the well at noon, I'll, I'll suffer the heat of the day rather than these people's opinions about me. Jesus shows up in her life of this woman who's racially despised. In other words, as a Samaritan, Jews don't even talk to him because they're this half-breed of Jew and Gentile uh, who, who've crossed. And now there's this Samaritan person. And so Jews look at him as they're, they're ethic, ethnically despised people. She's morally despised. In the way that she lives her life and the way that she finds love and acceptance and grace, people have rejected her that way. And she's, she's socially despised. She doesn't, no one really wants to spend a lot of time with this woman other than men. That is a feeling that a lot of people carry around with them. It's a feeling of rejection. It's a feeling of shame. It's a feeling that more often and too often, we as the church have placed on people who aren't followers of Christ yet. That because they don't have their ducks in a row and they don't polish their shoes right and they don't wear a suit and come on Sunday and they don't know our language, that they live in this sense of rejection. And some of you are sitting in here tonight and you live with that feeling. If my youth leader really knew what's going on in my heart, if they knew the things that I have done or the things that I have thought, everyone in this room right now would fully reject me. There's a feeling of, of enslavement in that, where you're so alone in your story, and no one seems to be coming into it. No one's going out of their way to sit next to you and say, let me talk, let's talk about your life, let's talk about your heart. This woman had lived her life in that sense of isolation. And Jesus shows up in her story. Jesus shows up at high noon, had to go out of his way to intersect this woman. And he says to her, will you give me a drink of water? Now in her mind, I'm sure all kinds of things are going on. I'm sure she's thinking, dude, I know what you want. I know what every guy wants. You're just here to try to connive your way into bed with me. We don't know what's going through her head, but there's definitely a sense of shock where she's unsure, uncertain of his motives. And Jesus says to her, as, she, as she, he says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with in the wells deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water that I give him will indeed never thirst. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty again. All she can see is her life and her story. And sometimes we're so caught up in that, that that we don't see what God's doing when he intersects us. In her mind, she's just going, well, this dude has some creative water thing that that I can get, and it'll be like a tap in my house, and, and, and that's what I want. And what he's talking about is a totally different well. He's speaking about the well in her heart. And he's saying, you have filled this thing up over and over. You come out here in the heat of the day because you're ashamed of who you are and what you've been. Shamed of what you've done. You come out here in the heat of the day to avoid people talking behind your back and the rejection that you feel. And if you knew who you were talking to, the story that's engaged yours right now, you'd be asking me to fill up that well. And it's not a well of water, it's the well in your heart. It's the place where you're looking for love and acceptance and grace. That's the well you'd be seeking to have me fill. I think about when I came home from Chico, and I, I, hadn't, I, I knew that I, I was, my story was going down this really broken road. I just didn't know what else to do. And so I started drinking and, and kept drinking and started using drugs more and, and got jobs and just kind of worked and hung out and, and just loafed around. But my drinking got worse and worse and worse and eventually I'd start blacking out. And just, I didn't know what I did or where I'd been. And it, it, there came a time where I was in my bedroom and I woke up the next morning and my fist was all bloody and this, this whole, uh, my whole bedroom was thrashed. And I had no idea where I'd been. I walked out into the kitchen and there was a bag of groceries. Because I went shopping at like three in the morning which was brilliant of me. It's important that I go shopping. I was just, I was so out of it. But what had happened was, I was in a car with my buddy, and a guy pulled a gun on me from outside of the car, and he's pointing at me. And in all my brilliance to know what to do in a crisis situation, and being inside the car, I tried to punch him. But I punched my friend's windshield, which shatters. And there was a guy in between us, and I leaned over to the guy in between us, and this is a mini truck, right? And I go, shh. Like, don't tell the guy driving. He'll never know this happened. <laughs> he has no idea. That story really had me reflecting. Like, here I was trying to, to make something of my life and my story. And had that dude just flinched and freaked out and pulled the trigger, I could have been gone in a moment. And I began to ask myself, is, is the story, this, this route that I'm on, is it really one that's going to pay off? Is it one that where I'm going to find love or acceptance and grace? Are these friends really my friends because I'm fun to be with? Or are they my friends because, no matter what happens? It's that place in the road where the big question started to roll around in my mind. And God started to intersect my life at that moment. 
And that well that was in my heart that I was just trying to fill up with all this other stuff began to get really empty. And all that other water that I had been trying to give myself and live on was essentially drying up before my eyes. But I had no idea where to go. I had no clue how to fix it. I just knew that this well had run dry in my life. I wonder as you're here tonight, how you fill up the well of your heart. How is it right now that you are trying to fill that place, that void, that empty well in your heart? Is it through a relationship with a guy or a girl, hoping that that will be the thing that fills it? Is it wanting everybody at school to like you or to accept you? Is it, is it hanging on to a specific sin that nobody knows about, but it sort of makes your flesh feel better? And so you sneak away and get on the internet, or you sneak away and pop some pills or smoke some pot or whatever it is you do. How are you trying to fill that well? And I know from my story, I know from this woman's story, and for so many other stories, that every other place that we can go to eventually goes dry. We find ourselves sneaking away in shame in the heat of our day to be alone, trying to fill that well of our hearts up. And in all reality, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into shame. And it's at that place that Jesus shows up and says to you and to me, are you ready to pay attention? Because I'm ready to enter your story. Because I have something to give you that will cause you to never thirst again. What I'm about to give you will cause you to well up inside of you and give you this spring of eternal life. This, this place where love, acceptance, and grace reigns forever. It's a well that's never going to go dry. Are you willing to begin to listen? And the first thing he tells her that you're going to have to deal with is you've got to get honest about your life. You've got to get honest about your story. Listen to what he says to her. He says, she says, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Give me this water. I don't want to thirst again. He says, go call your husband and come back. She goes, I don't, I don't have a husband. It's right in that place that Jesus says, I'm, I'm willing to enter into your story. I want to enter into your story, but we're not going to play games, okay? You're not going to put on the polished little polyester thing and go to play church. That's not what I want. I don't want religious people that just jump through hoops. What I want is your heart, and so let's start being honest about your heart. Go call your husband. And he just nails her sort of between the eyes on this place. Because where has she been filling up her well? With men. She says, sir, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. In fact, you have had five. And the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And Jesus starts saying, let's, let's put it on the table. Man, that is scary. When it's time to be honest with God, it is a scary time for many of us. Because no other relationship really feels safe like that. Say, yeah, I'm going to lay it out here. 
Here's what I think. Here's what I've done. Here's where I go to fill my well. Let me be honest with you. In your debrief times tonight, ask your youth workers, when did you come to that point in your story when Jesus intersected you this way? We've all come to it. It's time to be honest, he says. Well, here's what she says, because honesty is so fun. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. Hey, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place where you worship is in Jerusalem. So what she's basically doing is saying, this is a good time to ask dumb theological questions, because I don't want to be honest, and I don't want, you, you just got real close to me. It's sort of like, okay, how do you fill the well of your heart? Hey, could God make a rock so big he couldn't pick it up? Uh, uh, we don't want to really deal with it. And so she starts asking these questions to avoid the question. How do you avoid the question? I remember that, I was, uh, that, ni- that, that night that I was laying in my room, the morning I woke up, I just realized something has to change in my story. And God put this desire in me to go to church. And so I went to the nearest church I could find, which was like two miles from my house. And, and, and I walk in there and I'm ready to be honest, right? Here I am, man. I got problems. I, I'm struggling with drinking too much. I don't have a clue how to live in this church world. And they learned that pretty quickly because I, you know, just didn't say the right words. And I cussed a lot and didn't know I was cussing. So, you know, can you imagine how that goes over in church? And, uh, and I, sit, I come and I sit in the back row, because that's where you go the first week of church. You're not making it to the front. You're like, okay, where's the door? How fast can I get out? Okay, I'm in the back. So I sit in the back, and there were kids that had known me in high school, and so they were like sophomores when I graduated, and now they're seniors. So you had sort of the ringleader of the youth group. You know who you are tonight. And uh, that dude gets back, and you can see him looking at me and kind of talking, and I'm just, I'm feeling bad because I feel like I'm crashing their party, but I'm just like, dude, I don't know what else to do, so I came to church. I'm sorry. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here. So this guy walks back, and he, he's kind of like, okay, and he walks over, and he says, hey, we're, uh, we want to know why you're here. I'm like, dude, I have no idea why I'm here. Okay, thanks. He has no idea why he's here. He's just clueless. <laughs> and that was sort of my introduction to church. But the interesting thing is, uh, I, I found out later that I had friends that were Christians, but they had never told me about it, never talked to me about it. When I was sitting there on that day that God had sort of divinely woke me up and told me to go to church, it just happened to be Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of this holy week where you hear the story of Christ. It's like Jesus came to me in my bedroom and said, Hey, bro, I got water you know nothing about. Why don't you come over here and check it out? And I walk into church, and it's Palm Sunday, and it's like a week-long gospel presentation where he's talking about the love and grace and acceptance that Jesus had for me. And I just was like, Cool, I'm in. But there was also this temptation to avoid the question. When it comes time to come to the table to look at a blood-stained cross where Jesus died for me and to say, I need to be honest about my sin and confess that to you. 
I need to be honest about my sin. I need to repent of it and let go of it. I need to be honest about my need for your love and acceptance and grace. And I need to receive it. That's sort of a scary place to be. And so I wonder tonight as you sit there, are you like this woman wanting to ask a different question? Or are you ready to be honest with God? Jesus says to her in verse 21, he pinpoints the problem in her heart. And he says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and has now come, when true true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. There's a key line in here where he says, The time has now coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. All of you in this room are worshipers. Everybody worships. God made us in such a way that our heart longs to worship. And that's what drives us to fill that well. And whether you're worshiping the God of heaven in Jesus Christ, or whether you're worshiping your boyfriend or girlfriend, or worshiping something you're seeing on the internet, or whatever it is, you're all worshiping. We all worship. And tonight, as we're talking about your story, the question you have to wrestle is, who or what do I worship? What, is, what defines worship in my story? Is it that I'm worshiping a thing or a person or an expectation of life? Or am I worshiping this God who's coming after me and intersecting my story? All of us have to answer that question. Because all of us are worshipers. And Jesus tells her, you need to worship the Father in spirit and truth. He says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. How many times in the Gospels does Jesus go up to someone and say, hey, I'm the Messiah? Hardly ever. But he goes up to this woman who's morally despised, socially despised, ethnically despised, unacceptable, outcast, and he says to her, listen to me. My story is ready to intersect your story. I'm showing up in your life. And I'm telling you, I am the one who's come to save you. You don't have to go to men anymore for love and acceptance and grace. I'm coming to it with all my heart. You don't have to come to this well anymore in shame and try to fill it up for yourself. I'm ready to fill up your heart with eternal water, with living water that comes from me. I who speak to you am he. As amazing to me. Religious people would pull their hair out. If you heard that today Jesus came back 
And he was downtown on Burnside in like 8th talking to prostitutes and telling them, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm come, I've come again. Wouldn't that freak you out? Wouldn't that upset you? Religious people would have gone nuts over this, but this is the kind of God that goes way out of his way to intersect stories of people who desperately are ready to be honest with God and look to him for love, acceptance, and grace. I remember as I sat there in this church meeting and I heard this story of this God who loved me and who came after me in Christ and who went to the cross for me. I remember thinking to myself, this is too good to be true. I was sort of fortunate in the sense that when it was time to be honest, like there wasn't a lot to hide anymore because my story was pretty screwed up. But what I found over the years is that there's a lot of people whose stories look okay. In other words, you're not the woman at the well. You, haven't, you, had, you don't have five husbands. You're not sleeping with a guy on the side right now. And you're not Rick McKinley, and you don't have a drug problem, and you're not getting drunk all the time. So you're just a pretty good person. And so you don't really need this Jesus story because your story is going to be fine. And the lie in the midst of that is that there's a blood-stained cross just for us screw-ups. But the good people like yourself could have made it to heaven without it. And that's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's called religion. And what Jesus says to you tonight is that your sin needs confession and repentance and forgiveness, just like this woman at the well, and just like that screwed-up speaker when he was 18. Like, you all need it, and that's why I've come. To intersect your story. And so are you avoiding it with questions? Are you ready to get honest with God? Are you ready to come to him and say, I need you to be my love, to be my source of acceptance. I need your grace to flow over my stuff, my baggage, my brokenness. Because if you don't, then my story really, as polished up as it can be, as religious as I want it to be, is still just that light in the darkness that's driving around and running into trees. You might grow up and make a lot of cash. That'd be fine. But that's not going to answer this question of who is filling up the well of your heart. After I became a believer... It was so difficult for me to accept God's grace. I just kind of grown up uh, in a home where you need to prove it. You kind of need to earn it. I found a lot of times in church that we sort of play that card. You need to get fired up for Jesus and you need to obey all these things and you need to do all that stuff. Well, you know what? I didn't have a shot at that. I was trying not to get drunk before church. I was trying not to come to church with a hangover. Like, that would have been success for me. And so there's not a sense that when I stood out in the crowd, it was like, wow, he's a really good Christian. It was kind of like, wow, there's a guy that may not make it. And I remember so vividly laying in my room just saying, God, I can't do this. There's no way that you should have give your perfect life for my messed up life. That's not a fair exchange. You ripped yourself off, God. I didn't want to receive it, and I fought it. 
And one night as I was laying in my bed and I was just so broken over my own sin, I just said, you know what, God, I'm taking my life. You're not going to save me. And I took this, I had these uh, muscle relaxers and I just took this handful of them. I don't know if it was enough to kill me. Uh, I just figured it would make me really sick or maybe I'd die. I had no idea. I just wanted out. And as I laid there in my bed and I began to cry and sort of freak out at what I had just done, I heard God's voice in my head say to me, as clear as day, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. It's a verse that he brought back to my mind out of 1 Corinthians. This is not your life to take, Rick. I purchased it. You belong to me. Whether you want to to, to receive it or not, the fact is that I have purchased you to myself and you're mine. And so you can, you can submit to me and, and just receive my love, receive my acceptance, receive my grace, or you could fight me, but you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. It was at that moment that Jesus showed up in my story in this powerful way that redirected everything. Within six months, I was at Bible college and being, you know, equipped to go into ministry. And it's not so much that as it was coming to this realization that this table that we come to, where we remember that the body was broken and his blood was shed, is a table where God has purchased us to himself. And so tonight, the question that I have for you is, have you accepted that invitation that Jesus makes to you? That he would be the one who fills the well of your heart. That love, acceptance, and grace would be, you'd run to him for that. Or are you still trying to find it somewhere else? Tonight, as we come to this table, we're going to take communion again. But I don't want you to take it, you guys, because of any other reason than the fact that you would come here tonight and be honest with God. That you wouldn't avoid the question, but you'd say, Jesus, I'm welcoming you to intersect my story. And I'm going to confess my sin to you. I'm going to turn from it and repent and I'm going to give you my life. And that, for some of you, will be the first time you've ever done that. And I'd like you to speak to one of your youth workers about that. Because this is a crucial moment that you shouldn't be alone for. For others of you, it's just reaffirming something that's already in you. And for some of you, you need to come to the place of recognizing that the woman at the well... And that that screwed up speaker that was 18 and on drugs is not, they're not a lot worse than I am. That my sin is really a big thing. But Jesus in his grace has covered it. And we all get to heaven the same way. By the beautiful grace of Christ. Jesus shows up in our story with this invitation. Are you going to make him the source of your love, the source of your acceptance? Are you going to receive the grace that he offers you tonight? Some of you aren't here yet. 
Some of you are sitting there saying, you know what, I, I want to read more. I want to read about Buddha, and I want to read the Quran, and I want to do this. That's okay. I'd ra- I just want you to be honest. Get honest with your story. Jesus isn't looking for a show or performance. He's looking for you to lay your heart here before him tonight. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And so as the worship team comes up, we're going to go into a time of worship. And I want you to come forward and take communion around the room as you feel led tonight. Do business with God. Where is it that you're looking to fill up your heart and your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these students. As I look out, God, I see a group of people that you have died for. A group of people that are sinful like me, that desperately need your grace, that needed you to die on the cross. God, I see a group of people that want to avoid the question like I would like to avoid the question, like the woman at the well would like to avoid the question. And yet tonight, God, we want to get honest with you. And so I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and move in hearts, that people wouldn't be able to hide or or mask, and that you would let them know that this is a safe place, a place of grace, a place where we can lay it on the table and be real and honest before you. And so as we come to this table tonight, God, we come with our stories. We come needing to repent and to confess and to receive your love and your grace. We need to be accepted by you. And so we give you praise tonight, God, for showing up in our story and buying us with the high price of your own body. So come and meet with us now, we pray in Christ's name.